well, that was fun. Thanks, James and Deborah back there pulling up the back and you guys for dancing with us. 42 years. Wow. And we're still saying, you're still the one, baby. But, uh, uh, uh. Has that been some years? Whew. It's been, it's been some. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But we're in a series called The New Normal. And now the new normal, what we're doing is we're looking at how culture writes and shapes our values. Now, we are inundated with messages in our culture. And if you think about your own life and think how much time you're spending with God versus how much time you're spending immersed in the culture, it will probably frighten you. The culture writes and shapes the values by which people live. Now, Buddy, a couple of weeks ago, talked about how social media has rewritten how we communicate. He talked last week about how questioning and uh, mistrusting authority is extremely popular in our culture today and what that means. Now, if you missed those two messages, I would encourage you to go to the podcast and listen to those. But we live in a post-truth culture. Have you heard that term? Post-truth. Now, what that means is that people simply, the standard by which people live is simply by their feelings. Well, here's how I feel. Or by their opinions. I'm right. You're wrong, of course. And whatever the popular crowd says to do. You know, we think, especially young people will fall for this, whatever's popular must be the right thing to do because that will say I'm cool and so I'm going to do that. And so we just follow opinions, feelings, and popular culture. Uh, That's what what post-truth culture is. Now, our new normal today may look very different from, let's say, the 50s, um, but In reality, it's not much different than what was happening in Old Testament days. We have a key verse, and our key verse is this. It comes out of Judges, and it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Now, what that means is there was no authority. There was no standard by which anyone said, Here's how you're going to live. And so the people did whatever they felt like doing. Now, that's not a whole lot different than how people are living today. That's a post-truth culture. Now, Buddy and I have a deep conviction. He shared this with you when he did one of his messages to tell you what the Bible says. In Romans 10, 14, it says, how will they know if no one ever tells them? And Buddy and I are required by God to dig into the Bible and say, God, what do you say? It's not about our opinions. It's not about our preferences. It's not about our ideas. But God has called us and required us to tell you what the Bible says. And then we're required to live that out. We're not going to stand up here and tell you to do something if we're not applying that to our lives as well. And so it's a huge responsibility, and Buddy and I have felt convicted in the midst of this culture that kind of lives by the seat of its pants and pulls their standard out of the air, that we need to at least give you and tell you what the Bible says in these, in, in these kind of cultural things that we're dealing with on a, a daily basis. Now, pop, pop culture has been so powerful at influencing our minds that probably when you hear the new normal and you hear marriage, you think, all right, we're going to talk about gay marriage. We're going to talk about, is that right or wrong? Well, I'm gay, and I'm married. (laughs) So I don't know if that'll work for you. (laughs) But it is definitely the new normal. However, it is only one small slice of a much broader way that culture has redefined marriage. It's just that... Our minds are so influenced by what we hear that that's gotten all the attention. And a lot of the reason is because we can point our finger. We can say, ah, look what they're doing wrong, instead of backing that up and saying, wait a minute, there's a whole lot more to this. And we need to back up and take a look at how this culture has been, how culture redefines marriage. It's much broader than just simply that. I can remember when cohabitation, you know that word? I can remember that's living together without a marriage commitment. I can remember when it began to lose its stigma. 
Once known as shacking up or living in sin, it became a relationship without a binding document. You see, all you need to do is change the wording and people will say, oh yeah, I get that. I understand that because they don't have a foundation by which to make a biblical decision. We just changed the wording. Now today, let's say 30 years later, today by age 20, one in four US couples have lived together. And by the age of 30, the ratio climbs to three in four. So it's very acceptable in our culture today. And people don't really even know anything. That is a redefinition of marriage. How about swingers? Anybody know what swingers are? Yeah, every, every uh, service, they ha how do you know about swingers? And then, of course, people say, well, I've just read about it. <laughs> Don't look these things up online, okay, because that'll... <laughs> but I won't tell you more about that. But how about the website that helps people commit adultery? I mean, I'm not going to give you the name of it, but it went crazy in Japan because that's the number one uh, country that it's, it's completely okay to commit adultery. And uh, there is an actual website that helps people. That is redefining marriage. Divorce and remarriage outside of God's conditions. That's a redefinition of marriage. We do it, don't we? How about a starter marriage? Have you ever heard of that? There were two men, they were talking about an upcoming wedding and one was, the one engaged said to his friend, he said, you know, I'm really feeling nervous about getting married. And the buddy responds, I know what you mean. Marriage is a huge commitment. Six or seven years can be a really long time. <laughs> now that's a starter marriage. There are a lot of people that are entering into marriage that are saying, well, if that one doesn't work out, I can just get it and have another one. And so that is a redefinition of marriage. We all do it. And if we don't understand the standard and the biblical a definition of marriage. We'll just be rewriting our, our marriage uh, rules ourselves. I'd like to write a few marriage rules for Buddy. <laughs> you know, I'd like to do that, but I've, I've been committed to what God says. Now this message is gonna get nitty gritty. It's gonna get down to business. And it's not a message for you to improve your marriage. It's just not. It will improve your marriage if you take this and you live it out. But this is not a, this is not a, a, a message to give you marriage tips. So I just thought I'd give you this little video and we'd get that out of the way first, okay? Here you go. Hi, I'm Dr. Gary Smalley, and I've been helping marriages for years improve. And I've got a couple of friends who have some very unique insights into marriage, and I want you to meet them. Hey, thank you, Gary. My name is Johnny. And I'm Chachi. And you know, marriages is something that I think we're all excited about and something that we think we can bring a lot of wisdom to. Isn't that right, Dr. Dobson? Uh, Smalley. Oh, well, oh. That, that's sorry. our faux pas. Yes, sir, but we've got some killer marriage tips that we think are really going to knock your socks off. Yeah. So let's do some dancing, get this party started, and help marriages no. out all over the country. Let's no. do it. No, let's go ahead and just roll with the tips. No dancing. When you get the chance, finish your wife's sentences for her. Yeah. It's important that she knows that you know where she's going with a particular thought or sentence. Yeah, this says, I know you, I love you, and you're predictable, but in a good way. When on vacation, have fun, but make sure your wife knows exactly how much this thing is costing. Now remember, allowing her to feel guilt can actually be a good thing. Right you are, because guilt is actually an acronym for Good Financial Stewardship. No, that's... Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Make sense. It, is, it is, it is, it is, it is. That not makes sense. It is, it is. When you're in an argument, it's key to use the time that your spouse is talking to come up with what you want to say next. So it goes like this. You speak... And then while she's speaking, you think, and then you speak again. And that's how the killer comebacks happen. Surprise your wife with a weekend trip. 
for you and your buddies. Husbands, doing this will help her see that you're taking care of your needs. And taking care of your needs will give you the ability to take care of her needs. You know, putting your kids in timeout works for most parents, but putting your spouse in timeout can also be really effective. Putting your spouse in a timeout chair will hopefully help her see things from a different perspective, preferably yours. And if you get any pushback, I'd let her know that you're having a hard time telling her apart from the children. <laughs> That's a classic. <laughs> Whenever your wife tells you about something she wants to buy, respond with the sound effect of a cash register. Here's a little role play for you. Hey, honey, I'm going to go buy some skinny jeans. Cha-ching. <laughs> hey, honey, I'm going to go get some bread now. Cha-ching. <laughs> you know, guys, uh... Those are kind of horrible tips. Okay. She didn't like them that much. I mean, when you think about it, uh, those were killer tips, and I think they'd, like, kill most marriages. Well, <laughs> I guess we're at an impasse then. Awkward. Hey, Gary, here's an idea, though. To keep the video rolling, let's just do the robot at the end and send this thing off with some fun, if you know what I'm saying. We gonna do that with us? I, I, I tell you what, I was, you know, uh, a little bit uncomfortable by this. It's kind of, like, weird. So there's your tips. We got those out of the way, and now we're going to get down to business, okay? Uh, we're going to talk about uh, God's design for marriage. Well, any time, anything that's designed, you know this, if it's a truck, if it's a building, if it, even marriage, uh, there is a mastermind, a designer behind the masterpiece. Now, God is the mastermind behind marriage. He created it. It was his idea. He knows how it works best, and he, he, gives, he understands its purpose, and then he gives us a framework for success. Now, all of us are at different places. There have been people here that have been divorced. There are people that have been here married for a long time. There are people that are single. Uh, we are all coming from a different place. But that's really not the issue today. The issue is, okay, what does God say about marriage? Well, first of all, we have to understand that he knows best. He's the one that designed it. His original design goes back to the Garden of Eden when he created and he blessed a man and a woman and the union of the two coming together. He was the one that designed it. He knew why he did it, and he gave it for a reason. But humanity, that's you and I, we've got this really bad habit. And our bad habit is, I don't want to do what God says. I want to design it the way I want it to be. I want to write my own marriage uh, guidelines. I want to say what my own gender is. I want to write the rules for my own life. I don't want some God telling me what to do. And then we begin to kind of rewrite things and live it out the way that we want it to. But what this is all about is coming back and saying, what does God say? You see, if it's for us, humanity, we strive for benefits. We just do. We strive for things that are going to make us comfortable. We strive for things that are going to work out the way we want them to. We don't strive to spend our life to sacrifice and to allow God to chisel us because that's painful. And who would ask for that? But it's exactly what, what we have to do here. See, marriage wasn't created out of a human kind of idea. Marriage was created out of divine order, not a self-serving one. And it's based on covenant relationship with the purpose of reflecting a relationship with God into the world. Now, whoever taught us this? All of us pretty much entered uh, marriage, well, this cute little guy or this cute little girl, and we're drawn to them, and then we get a little premarital counseling or whatever, and Buddy and, and I didn't even do that. We you just jump in it, and then you just kind of go by whatever you learned to see as you were growing up or whatever you've heard, and we're just kind of pulling things out of the air. But God has a very clear definition 
of what he calls us to in marriage. So let's look at the biblical definition of marriage. Number one, I'm going to give you three things there. Marriage is an indissolvable relationship except on the highest grounds. Now, Jesus said, he said, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, to the world, this sounds like the ball and chain syndrome. This sounds like, and I hear it all the time, once you get married, boy, now your fun's not, your, your fun's taken away, and it's like, you know, it's like this vice grip, and, 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 and I'm saying, because we don't really understand the purpose. Because God has always designed for us to experience exhilarating freedom. And somehow people think if we put boundaries that somehow that's going to clamp us in instead of understanding that those boundaries are for our protection and for our blessing so that we can thrive and we can find an exhilarating freedom in him. Part of the mystery why God would, would design it this way is found in understanding, and I want you to grasp this. I spent a lot of time this week, and I really uh, loved how, how God began to speak to me about covenant. It's really found in understanding covenant relationship, first of all, between God and people, a very vertical relationship, covenant relationship, and then horizontally between a man and a woman. Covenant establishes a lifelong, faithful relationship. And who doesn't truly want that? A covenant is an oath. It's a vow. It's really our word. It's a tool that God designed and has used with people throughout time, from the Garden of Eden, and it's still going on today. From Genesis to Revelation, he has used covenant relationship. And it's a, he designed it to construct, to stabilize, and to order his relationship with people. You see, it's an exchange of persons. It's not an exchange of, we might write the marriage uh, document and, and that whole thing, but it's not a contract. It's an exchange of persons. It's an exchange of promises. You see, covenant creates kinship. Now, the reason that, we, that, that God calls us not to have a physical relationship before we enter the marriage covenant is because a physical relationship will interfere with this deep, deep kinship that only a bond with him can create. You see, he wants to create that with us vertically, and he wants that to be created between a man and a woman, and the physical relationship will interfere with that. You see, the physical relationship was given as a gift from God for a husband and a wife, and any time we put that before, any time we put that before this deep kinship bond, it will interfere with what God designed in our life. And we want, it's why so many people don't get the, the full effect of what marriage is. I didn't even get this for so long. But throughout the Bible, from beginning to end, God uses covenant. Now what that is is promise making and promise keeping. You see, nobody can hold you to that. That's really between you and God. Nobody can come back and say, well, you broke a promise. I'm going to hold you accountable for that. It doesn't happen. That's really just between me and God. Am I going to keep my promises or am I going to break my promises? And we all know what it feels like to have a promise broken. But God has used the covenant as his way to find successful relationships. And when we fight, it doesn't take rocket science to figure this out. When we walk faithfully with him, he blesses. You see, he can't break his word. God himself put himself under a curse that if he would break his promises, he would be cursed. He will not break his promise to us. But we, on the other hand, enter covenant relationships and we break promises. But he makes a way for us to walk. He gives us power so that we can walk in a covenant relationship so that we can find trust and success in relationships. You see, when a covenant is broken, he can't bless us. 
When we get out from under his protective covering, he can't bless us. Now, he made covenants with Abraham and the Israelites and all throughout the Old Testament. I'm reading Jeremiah now, and it was just, if you read Jeremiah, you'll see God went to Jeremiah, and he would tell Jeremiah, he would say, please, go tell the people, get back inside of my covenant, because if they're not living within my covenant, I have to destroy them. So Jeremiah would go and tell them, and some people would come back under the covenant, covenant, and some wouldn't, and God would keep his word. And and people think that God is not a loving God. He is. He is designing this covenant for us to be protected and to be loved and to be blessed and to be successful. It's our decision whether or not we're going to keep our promise to him in our covenant relationship with him. So he made those kinds of covenants with people throughout the Old Testament. But in the New Testament era, Jesus Christ is his offer of covenant relationship And he is available to everyone. And every week, there's an offer from this stage for people to enter into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, the protection, the blessing. And there's no promise that it's going to be easy. And every week, people will get up and walk out and say, no, I I don't think I want that. You see, accepting Christ as your savior strikes a covenant relationship and what that means is you promise and he promises to walk together faithfully. It's a bond that's stronger than blood. I would not dream of walking outside of that covenant relationship with him. And when we walk in that relationship with him, we receive power to overcome those things that you're dealing with on a daily basis that are eroding your life, that are destroying your life. But in a covenant relationship, he gives us the power to overcome those things that destroy us. He gives us his blessing. He gives us his protection. And he gives us a power so strong that it will bind every bit of evil and Satan in your life. I don't believe that we as believers are tapping into the power and the strength that God has for us to face a world that wants to destroy us. But it's available to every single one of us as we walk in a covenant relationship with him. And and mysteriously, we're drawn into the presence of God for his help in whatever we need. Now, that's a covenant relationship with him. A marriage covenant relationship is the same way. It's a horizontal relationship between a husband and a wife. And keeping a covenant, keeping your promise, keeping your oath, keeping your word creates order and power to be an overcomer in your life. That is not dependent on your spouse or any other person. Because in a marriage, we make our vow to God first. And when we make our vow to God first, we will be faithful in our human relationships. You see, when Adam and Eve broke their oath with God in the garden, mankind began to collapse. You can just watch it. We're still dealing with it today. And so God gave Jesus the most powerful means of restoring order to lives and a broken world, which taps into God's power and his oath to us. You see, the marriage covenant is the same. In a marriage covenant, our vow is to God first. I remember after I married Buddy, we just decided one day, oh, that'd be a fun thing to do. Let's get married. Oh, so I was taught that a marriage, I was, when I grew up, I knew of no divorces, I was taught that when you're married, bam, it's for life till death do you part. I didn't even know that the Bible gave a couple of uh, ways to get out of it. <laughs> but, but I was, I, and so the day after I got married, I said, dear God, what have I done? And I cried, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried. It's like my conscience kicked in a day late. And I cried for about a week. And when I decided to get up, I said, you know what? I made this decision. I made a vow to God, and I'm not going to break that vow to God. And I'm going to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to make this marriage work. 
That's because I was in a covenant relationship with God. And I wasn't going to break my vow to him. I wanted to break it to Buddy, <laughs> but I couldn't because that would be breaking my covenant relationship with God. You see, the Greek word for oath is mysterion. It means mystery. And it's found throughout the New Testament describing the marital relationship between a man and a woman reflecting the marriage between Christ and the church. It's a vertical relationship that intersects with the horizontal relationship. And it says, this is the profound mystery that I am talking about Christ and the church. And right before that, it's talking about a man and a woman, uh, about a man and a woman and how they have come together to be one. And it says in Mark 10, 9, it says, for, for from the very first, he made man and woman to be joined together permanently in marriage. No man may separate what God has joined together. We think that divorce separates us, but especially if you have children, you are connected to that person for life. We just are. And we need to think that through. Now, this statement is going to be difficult. But anytime I get into what God says, it's difficult. There are great cultural threats to God's design for the oldest institution that he created, marriage. Same-sex marriage is one of those. Swingers is another. Divorce without biblical reasons. Um, but the greatest threat is unbiblical divorce. It has threatened the preservation of life's first and most basic institution. And, and many of us didn't know what the Bible said. And we got out from his protective covering, and it's never too late. I had someone say to me this morning, well, I'm divorced. I said, it's okay. Because you have to go back and say, where did I err? How did I contribute to that? I have to learn from that. Lord, forgive me for the part that I played in that failure. But I can start today, and I can be faithful in my covenant relationship with God, which will make me faithful in my covenant relationship with my spouse or my future spouse. You see, there's two biblical reasons for divorce set forth by Christ in Matthew 5 and 19 and by his apostles in 1 Corinthians 7. The first one is adultery, but I can also tell you that if adultery has happened in a marriage, God's grace can go deeper than that. There can be restoration, even if there has been betrayal, there can be. But God gives us a way out if there has been adultery or if there has been desertion. If someone has walked away and has said, I, there's no, they're an unbeliever. They don't believe in the Holy Spirit. It's, it, and those are the two conditions. But even then, it is still our responsibility to do whatever it takes to be restorative. Now, here's a good question that people ask. Does God choose my mate? Well, I struggled with this for a long time because I thought for Buddy and I, we were definitely not meant for each other. We were as opposite as you could possibly be. And when you see us dancing up here 42 years later, you know there's a God. <laughs> because that's who we give our glory. Sure, we entered into a covenant relationship with God, and we determined that we were going to make this thing work, but it would be impossible we were so different. And I grappled with, okay, God, did you kind of in your big plan kind of see that and you kind of brought Buddy and I together and I went out to Kieseltown one day and he said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. Stay away from her, guys. And it, it, did, did you have something in that? Or did we just take things into our own hands and do this completely outside of your will and then you blessed us because we gave our lives to you? Well, this week as I was studying, I got my, my question answered. Does he choose our mate, our soulmate? No, he doesn't. But he gives us guidelines of how to choose our future mate. He says that we're to be equally yoked. Now, Buddy and I were not equally yoked, and it has been a lifetime of correcting that. And it has been hell. 
It's been hard. But we were committed to God's way, not our own. And it's been painful, and it's been hard to figure that out. We weren't, but you know what I can say? The next generation, Jody and Jason, they were equally yoked. And how much they have saved themselves. They're way ahead of where Buddy and I were after 15 years of marriage because they entered into that covenant relationship God's way. But Buddy and I have been, so it's never a mistake. You get into a marriage and say, oh, I, I made a mistake. No, that person is no longer a mistake. That is the person that, that you have to have a covenant relationship with and make it work as far as you are concerned. You see, it has taken a lifetime for Buddy and I to correct, which is a witness to the power of God and our covenant relationship. You see, we have to take responsibility for who we chose to marry. You might blame things on, the, on your spouse, but you chose to marry that person. And when you can take personal responsibility for marrying that person, now you can begin to step back and say, well, maybe I need to do whatever it takes to make this work. So whoever you're married to right now is the right person. Isn't that encouraging? Whoever you're married to right now is the right person. And you can make it work because you can be faithful to your covenant. It is not dependent on what your spouse does. I had a woman this morning and she said, what about my husband? He's not a believer. I said, you continue to pray and you continue to live it out and you stay off of his back. And she smiled and she walked out the door because she understood that's what you need to do. This covenant relationship is huge. And I've spent a lot of time on it, partly because God really worked in me this week about covenant relationship. He gave me a promise this week that I've been waiting on for 42 years. Won't tell you what that is, but I found it in Jeremiah. And it was like, bam, the freedom and the exhilaration and the joy that's found when you choose to keep a covenant relationship and the blessing that comes from that, I can promise you he will keep his word. Secondly, the marriage relationship biblically is a monogamous relationship between husband and wife. And what does monogamous mean? It means that spiritually, emotionally, See, some people think that you're not having an affair if you're not having a sexual relationship. But if you are sharing emotional things, especially about a bad marriage with someone with, of the opposite sex or someone else outside of your marriage, that's an emotional affair. That's bordering on adultery. Because monogamous means spiritually, emotionally, physically committed and faithful to one person. Sure, do you want to do that? Absolutely. Have I wanted a listening ear and somebody that would validate how I was feeling? Of course. But I wanted to keep my covenant to God, and my covenant to God does not allow that. I don't care how much my needs are not being met. I don't care how much Buddy does not understand me. My covenant relationship does not allow me to go outside physically, emotionally, or spiritually outside of my covenant relationship with Buddy. Hardcore, isn't it? Jesus said this. He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, I found this article, and I loved it because it's not from a Christian perspective. And it, 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 William Tucker, it was a journalist, and for 20 years, he read the scholarly literature on marriage, and he came up with some very politically incorrect views and he, that means that even though he wasn't a Christian, he came up with some things that popular culture didn't like him saying. And he wrote a book called Marriage and Civilization, How Monogamy Made Us Human. And he looked at the role of monogamy and how it's played in the evolution of human society. Now, monogamy means the exclusive and permanent union of a man and a woman, husband and wife, father and mother. And he found that when monogamy is lived out, human civilization flourishes. And he said that those who form traditional families succeed and those who don't flounder. 
And he got a lot of statistics, and he said the breakdown of marriage most hurts the least well-off. And he gathered these statistics, and he found that a leading indicator of someone knowing poverty or prosperity is whether growing up, he or she knew love and security of their mother and father being married to each other. The best gift you can give your children is to love their other parent. And I told this morning about my niece, who at the age of two, her parents got divorced, and they hated each other. And they hated each other. And she told me, I just, I just can't take it anymore. And at the age of 32, she took her own life. And she shared with me many times, because you see, when parents hate each other, you tear that child right in half. I left the service today, and a man came to me, and he said, I was just like your niece. At two years old, my parents divorced, and it took me until I got to college to even get my head about me. And he said, they still live separately today, and they still don't like each other at all. The damage. And so it's no wonder that these statistics, marriage reduces the probability of child poverty by 80%. Number three, the marriage relationship is to reflect the image of God told in Genesis. Now, we enter into marriage, and somehow we think it's about us, don't we? We think it's about, well, I'm supposed to have my needs met, and this person's supposed to make me feel good, and this person's supposed to be there when I want them to be there. But God says that the marriage covenant is to reflect the image of God. Now, upon seeing Eve, Adam could have observed, well, it's me, because they were both human. They looked alike. They had some commonalities between them. But he could have also said, but it's not me, because when he looked at her, he said, whoa, there's a few differences here. You see, we're both human, men and women, but we're very, very different. And the way that this is to be reflected is that man and woman, very different, and God are designed to reflect the unity of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't have two fathers and one son, or we don't have two Holy Spirits and one father. We have a man and a woman and the Holy Spirit that are to reflect the unity and the, of the Trinity of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. It is impossible to make this marriage commitment work without the Holy Spirit. And when we're ripped apart, it's because two people have not come together and surrendered their life and said, Holy Spirit, this is way beyond us. We need you to penetrate us and to infiltrate us and to help us have the unity because that person is driving me insane. And it's because they're so different. But that is what we are, believers, to reflect out into the world. That there are two people very, very different that have called on the Holy Spirit to make this work. That's why you see Buddy and I dancing after 42 years. All glory goes to God. Sure, we made ourselves available. And it has been painful. But that's the way that God designed it. You see, the covenant relationship makes unity possible. It's our goal. When united differences ignite the power and the glory of creation itself, the consummate activity of God from the beginning. We have the very creation that will be ignited in our relationship as we understand our vertical covenant relationship intersecting with our horizontal relationship and a man and a woman and the Holy Spirit reflecting the unity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is a big deal. It's a big deal. This is why Satan fights tooth and nail to pervert sexuality, to distort the rightly ordered holy matrimony, the family, and to do what Buddy was talking about with fatherhood. 
the amount of time and effort that Satan expends to destroy the image of God reflected in couples is his full-time job. Don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. My mom called me stubborn when I was young, and I knew it wasn't a pleasant thing she was saying because my dad, she said it was the Berkshire stubbornness, and that was my dad. <laughs> but that Berkshire stubbornness has has served me to not come off of allow, not allowing Satan to destroy my covenant relationship with God. And that is the only thing that has kept me faithful in my covenant relationship with Buddy. This is how you know who to choose if you're single today. You look for someone that puts their covenant relationship with God first. That is your only guarantee that you'll be able to trust them inside of a marriage. Because when someone says, I will not budge off of my covenant relationship with God, you can be sure that you're going to be able to trust that person as a spouse. That's why we do premarital counseling. That's why we grill people before they get married. You can't, you can't know everything to talk about. You can't get it all because marriage is like a secret organization. You don't know a lot of the stuff until you get in it. <laughs> and once you get in it, that's the time to say, you know what, God? I call on your glory. It's the only way I'm going to make it. I'm going to keep my covenant relationship intact with you. Whatever my spouse does that drives me insane, I'm gonna, it's my responsibility to know how to draw on your power to move through that. Satan loves it when God's, when God's plan is broken down through marriages. Don't let him do it. Keep your covenant. You see, there's a profound and awesome reason for the way God ordered this. He has purpose, whether we understand it or not. We get to a lot of times, I don't get this, God, I don't understand. It's not for us to understand. It's for us to trust that he knows best. And whether I like it or not, or whether it hurts me or not, and I'm in covenant relationship with him, he knows best. And so I'm going to relinquish my life to him and surrender to him and trust him. God's way is to stick with him, whether we understand it or not. It's ordered as the union of a man and a woman in marriage, heterosexual and monogamous. Boom, there it is. It's the order that Jesus himself reaffirmed in Matthew. Try to live that out, and you will see it is impossible we morph off into all these other definitions of marriage. It's impossible without the Holy Spirit. So I want to give you just three really quick things because I know I'm out of time. And you guys have been great because you've had a lot of energy today. I love that. Three things that are the purpose. You know, I've asked people so many times, what's the point of marriage? And even believers, very few people can tell me the, the true point of marriage. So here are three things of the point of marriage for us as believers. First of all, to teach us unity in diversity. If there's ever a skill that people need in our culture today, it's to know how to love people who are very different than we are, but to still be in unity and not cut them down or not destroy them or feel like somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. We have, the only way we can have unity and diversity is through the Holy Spirit, and we as believers are called to know how to do that. So the marriage commitment teaches us how to love somebody that is very, very different from us. Watch this. Like one of the conflict resolution tools they teach in marriage is ask questions. When you have a disagreement, don't just start spewing out what you think, make it worse. Ask questions, try to relate, make it better. I used that last week. My wife and I got into a disagreement. It got hot, it got heated. We started a fight. I stopped myself right there, started asking questions. Honey, why are you being a psycho right now? <laughs> men and women text differently. Like when men text something, it's just a couple of words, da da da, send. That's all I had to say. I have nothing left right now. I'm tapped out right now. When I get another thought, I will send that out to you. But right now, just a couple of crickets playing racquetball up there. Yeah. 
Simon text, what are you doing? Oh, you look like a squirrel holding a nut. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna tell her that too. Yeah, I got a carriage return on your phone. This is my text to her right here. Hello, my darling. How you doing today? Send. And that's when the floodgates open. <laughs> now I'm going to read you her response. Good, I'm just so tired. Went to chiropractor. I'm super tight through shoulders and mid-back, so I loosened that up. He said, it sounds like my brain isn't shutting off for some reason. I asked him if it would be from playing electronic games before bed. He said, probably so. He said, try that. Have a sip of wine before bed. If I don't sleep good the next week, come back and try acupuncture. Smiley face. I'm feeling very draggy, but still as Jack and Stacey, so it could be in the air. Have it. Jackson played Xbox before bed, so he could have the same issues. <laughs> So I text back, okay. <laughs> Actually, it was just, okay, that's all it was. I don't want to overdo it, get a blister or something. You know, Buddy had to teach me this. How many times we were in this uh, discussion, and uh, I would be talking, talking. I don't text, but I talk, talk, talk. And he finally was able to say to me, you know what? I am so back on that very first sentence that you just said. <laughs> and all of that stuff after that, I am just gone. And I got to tell you this. Last night we were at dinner, and, and Gracie said, they were talking about a little boyfriend, and she said, he's, he's really, really quiet. And she said, but it's okay because I don't have to take turns talking. <laughs> she, she's already got it. <laughs> you see, men and women are so different. I was on this trip with my brother to Norway, and I love my brother, but he's also a man. And, uh, and I began to see that there were similar characteristics between him and Buddy. And I thought, oh, I've been trying to change that all these years, but in reality, they're just men. That's how they do it. And so all these years later, I'm just now figuring that out. I'm sure Buddy and my brother are really happy about that. But, <laughs> but you see, there are differences. And God gives us a marriage with a man and a woman to help us to learn how to have unity and allow other people to be different. That's what our culture is scrambling to understand and fighting against right now is we don't know how to have our differences and love one another. Wow, if we have believers could get that, it's incredible. Secondly, the purpose of marriage is to be transformed into our original identity. You see, we think that we're supposed to get our spouse to change. But in reality, marriage is designed for that person to bring the worst out in me, and instead of getting them to change, it's my responsibility to say, oh my goodness, that's in my heart. And to take that before the Lord and say, God, you're trying to show me the things that you're weeding out of my life so that I can look more like you. Man, the pressure we put on our spouses to change into someone that we want them to be instead of understanding that is not the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is for God to change us into who he originally designed us to be, the beautiful creation that he had in mind when he designed you and he allowed your mother and your father to come together with him and create you as a beautiful, lovely being. That's who he wants you to be. And marriage, at the most difficult times, if we could step back and say, wow, God, you're trying to show me something that I need to come before you and surrender and say, God, please change me. Can you imagine how this would revolutionize churches in our culture? The Bible says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until Jesus comes. You see, God is not finished with any of us yet. God is not finished. Marriage is one of the ways that he designs for that to happen. And thirdly, did you realize that God has given us as believers the awesome task of carrying out his plan of redemption and restoration? in this world, and sadly to say, 
We're tearing each other down. He called us to build one another up. And he's given us marriage so that we can practice that and learn that and become more like him. You see, we easily miss the point of marriage. This has been a lot for you to absorb. But I would say that God has spoken to you about something in this. A woman left today and she said, you know, I never thought about my relationship covenant with God first. Because she said, I've been praying that my household would get fixed. And she's been looking for results. And that was discouraging. Because she wasn't getting the results that she wanted. And I said, so take your eyes off of that and put it on your covenant relationship with God. And you stay true and you keep your promises to him and you walk with him and you obey with him and he's gonna take care of that. That's the promise I got out of Jeremiah this week. He said, when you keep your covenant, your children will pass the faith on. Wow. It's amazing. Listen, the worst thing that we can do is win at the wrong things. The marriage covenant that God created and instituted in the Garden of Eden is still his plan today. It hasn't changed, and it works. And I testify to that as a witness to his power in a marriage covenant. He designed it for our protection, our fulfillment, for people to thrive and for his legacy to carry on and on and on until he comes back again. Here's our goal. And if we as couples could have this as our unified goal in our homes, finally people rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Even in the midst of a chaotic home, the God of peace will be with you. Covenant relationship vertically. Covenant relationship horizontally. When they intersect, we will reflect the glory of God into our world. My prayer, my dream, is that we as believers would take this seriously and be a big old light out in the world. And when somebody asks us, how do you do that? Well, I couldn't do this without the Holy Spirit, without a marriage covenant that looked to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that it is a double-edged sword that penetrates our hearts so deep and heals and restores, yet it can be so painful at times. And I pray, Lord, that we as believers would take this seriously, as painful as it might be or as much in our life that we need to deal with, maybe the mess that we've made of our lives. I know I did. But God, you are so restorative. I thank you that you provided for us a covenant relationship that you will promise to keep with us if we will promise to keep with you. And so, Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that we will be encouraged, motivated to draw closer to you. And, Lord, you've always drawn close to us. You're just available for us anytime. So I thank you for the power, the blessing, the fulfillment, the success that we can have within the boundaries of what you've laid out for us in this beautiful covenant, marriage. And, Lord, when we go out into our world, in our workaday world, and we're so inundated with cultural values, Lord, may we stand strong because we know that we know that we know that we are sealed with you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was, let's stand together. We're going to worship, and I wanted this to be kind of an uplifting time. But I also want to present to you, you get to choose. Who are you going to follow? because you're going out into a culture that you probably don't even realize is influencing how you think. You live in that every day. And we have to intentionally decide who am I gonna follow? Am I gonna walk in the light of Jesus or am I gonna just pull kind of pull things out of the culture? 
And this song was just really encouraging to me. I was walking a couple days ago. Jody always asked, what do you want at the end of the service? And, and I was listening to this, and I texted her, and I said, I want this song, Wonder, because it's so exciting to me about walking in the light of Jesus. I've chose to do that. My prayer is that you choose to do that today as well. So let's celebrate. One, two, three, four.
You live it God's way. You get down to the nitty-gritty and you live it his way. And I'm telling you, you will discover an exhilarating freedom like you have never known. He just gave me a brand new promise this past week after 42 years. They're out there for you to have. Just live in covenant relationship with him. Love you guys. We'll see you next time. I see the world tonight. I see the world in wonder. I see the world tonight. Bursting in living color. I see the world your way.